Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Communitas Podcast, where we share stories and insights on culture, the church, and living on the missional frontier. I'm Jeff Reinhardt, president of Communitas International. Andrea Asher, chief mobilization director, co-hosts. We interview guests from around the world who are striving to transform lives and communities through writing and living on mission. Let's start the show. Well, I'm here with Diana McCartan, and Diana and I have known each other for a number of years. In fact, she's got one of the oldest projects in North America, Communitas. Um, and it was a few years ago that Communitas actually changed its name to the name you were already using, Communitas Twin Cities. <laughs> yeah. um, so thank you for that, Diana. It's just been a joy to be a, a friend of yours and to see the work that you're doing. And today, I was hoping we could get a little bit deeper into Communitas Twin Cities and the amazing things that are happening there. Um, but for our audience, why don't you just give a little bit of a, a history about who you are and then um, Communitas Twin Cities. Yes, for sure. Hi. Um, I uh, found the Lord at uh, 35 years of age on the heels of a divorce from a very difficult, difficult marriage. I had a Catholic background leading up into that. Um, so we had some faith established, but uh, nothing along the lines of a personal relationship with Jesus. And so at the age of 35, I <laughs> willingly threw the keys to the car, uh, to the Lord and said, please take over. Um, and uh, my life uh, has been significantly uh, different since. I'm actually bivocational. So I work at Wells Fargo. Yeah, great. Full time. Um, yes. And then uh, my other job, uh, passion actually is obviously um, the desire to share the love of God um, with others. Um, I ended up going to seminary not long after I found Jesus um, when I was 35. I just felt a, a deep call to do that and uh, to pastor a church. Um, but I kind of chuckled at the time. I mean, I said yes to the Lord to that response, but I chuckled a little bit. And one, uh, who was I to do such a thing, um, being such a young Christian and still needing um, some growth? And then two, um, while the traditional churches that are out there do a great job, and that's how I found the Lord, um, I just knew that wasn't where my passion was, um, or my gifting, uh, in, in the sense of, of, of leading a church. Um, and then let's face it, um, I'm a divorced female. And so, uh, this is back in the early 2000s even, but, you know, even then, uh, that all doors were open to a divorced female um, being a leader, a pastor of a of a church. Yep. I went to seminary, and uh, during my time at seminary, uh, my ecclesiology was really formed. I had the opportunity to serve with an inner city St. Paul ministry that was doing some work with um, underprivileged youth, and. Um, that really opened my eyes to see what God could do in a context that wasn't the traditional, this is how you do church in a box. In fact, I was on the board with this ministry. Um, we started to do it as a, as a 
denominational church plant. And, um, you know, we were working with families that were very impoverished. And of course, that denominational church plant had uh, milestones they wanted us to reach in the terms of the giving that we were, the donations we were getting in uh, from the congregants. And that, of course, didn't work in the setting we were in. We we were there to give to the community, uh, not take. Right. And um, set set the whole thing of tithing aside and everything, and how how people you know we're all called to do that. Um, to have those kinds of milestones ahead of us with an impoverished community, uh, just made you know inside it just didn't sit well. That that ministry ended up converting over to a, a community development corporation, so that um, they could apply for grants, they could get various. Um, support in those manners to keep doing the work that they were doing. Um, but it, st- it remained in essence a church. It just now fell outside the standard box of what you call a church. So uh, that was going on. Um, and then at the same time too, just myself as I was at seminary, uh, you know, I would, I would drive down a street and I would see on one corner, one denominational church and across the street, I'd see another denominational church and um, just, it would cross my mind the number of resources that were being spent to run the two different buildings and the two different staffs. And, you know, they're 50 feet apart from each other. And um, anyway, this is how, you know, God was obviously uh, moving in me. Add to that, uh, I had been at work at a bank um, during prior to this time of going to seminary. And uh, then I took a voluntary layoff. I had a really decent severance package and I wanted to focus on school. And then I also went on staff at a local church um, to work. And I never expected this, but the what I realized was that the difference in the kind of spiritual relationships I was able to have in the workplace at a bank mm-hmm. and how those spiritual relationships petered off Um and then also couldn't happen because one, I'm on staff at a church. And so I'm already with, I'm immersed with Christians. You know, I'm not in the, in the world, so to speak, like I was with, with the bank. And also I found that my, uh, my friends or my, the, the people, my acquaintances that I had been having those spiritual acquaintances with in the, in the bank, um, they just uh, like subconsciously considered me almost less available because now I was at the church and they weren't as comfortable with that, you know, and I wasn't, I was just a community coordinator at the church. Um, but now it's inside church doors. Right. And that kind of give a few people a little bit of the heebie-jeebies, so to speak, uh, as far as the comfortableness of sharing spiritually with me, that was really eye opening. Uh, you know, here I am following a call to pastor a church and realize I'm way more effective quote unquote outside the church. I ended up coming out of seminary with a heart um, to be something different as a church and um, to be something where um, there wasn't that, how do I say this, that gathered together the people I was already working with in the bank context that wanted to grow spiritually, that, um, that had an evangelistic push. I'm an evangelist at heart. So it had to have an evangelistic push to that, an evangelistic push that comes out of relationships um, and and exhibiting or experiencing the gospel together versus just kind of talking about it. Um, and so that's kind of how I came out of seminary. 
and I was a little bit frustrated because I thought uh, outside of the that St. Paul um, inner city ministry that I had worked with, I didn't see much of that going on. Two things happened. Um, I had some friends that some good friends that became involved with uh, what was called Christian Associates then. It's Communitas International now um, in the Netherlands. And through that, I got to experience uh, some different expressions of what church was looking like. And second, they turned me on to a book by Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost called The Shaping of Things to Come. And reading that book was um, like being given a permission slip. Because in that book is uh, various stories of different uh, groups of communities gathering around a uh, a uh, uh, common passion together that could be meeting in um, a beer hall. It could be um, serving somewhere, you know, in Brussels. Um, but they just united against a passion to serve other people mm-hmm. or to talk about God together. But it was kind of outside the church walls, so to speak. But what was going on was church. Yeah. And um, to see that kind of um, communion with with God going on in a missional way like that um just takes right at the that heart and passion the Lord already put in me and like I said it was somewhat of a permission slip I thought all right I'm gonna run with these ideas that I have yeah. on my heart um so it wasn't long after that it was about 2009 I met with um Rob Fairbanks who at the time was the North American uh director for yeah. Communitas International shared my heart. He, of course, gave me the permission to just uh, run with that and that uh, you guys would be there to support me along the way. And um, it was an exciting thing to be part of a larger group of people doing their own expressions of things. And so we joined in. And so I started Communitas Twin Cities. The core of that, the, um, the DNA of what I wanted that to be was so missional that for our first six months we never even had a small group meeting all we did was serve mm-hmm. that was the context of what we did and that was intentional um we gathered together like i said the, so a lot of associates I already had from people uh, i was working with i was able to bring in a lot of new people because people if you use the word volunteer versus missional <laughs> in the in the in the secular world there's people out there that want to serve all the time. Yeah. There's people out there that are that have, you know they're made in the image of God and they want to care and love for others. They just don't know yet. It's because they're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. You draw them in in this volunteer sense of uh, experience, and they come in, and then you help point out to them that what they're doing is is living out and experiencing the gospel and the love of God, and to tie it into their imago day and how they're they're made in the image of Christ. Um, kind of tear down some of those walls and the most misnomers that are out there about what church and Jesus following Jesus looks like. Um, and in an evangelistic way, it, you know, really worked. We served a variety of um, ministries and organizations in the Twin Cities area, alternating um, from month to month what those were. Um, and after about three years of doing that, <clears throat> we. Um, I had been at uh, Woodland Hills Church, which is this local church that I came to faith in and still go to for a lot of um, continued growth. Um, 
I had been at Woodland Hills and they were doing a ministry spotlight and it was on the homeless. I mm. can't remember exactly what they were doing. I think they were um, they were going to open the church doors on the weekends to kind of take the overflows in from neighboring shelters. Mm-hmm. But as I watched the video that they were showing, I cried in ways that were unusual. Mm. Um, there was a deep, uh, you know, burden in my heart suddenly for um, the homeless as I watched this. And knowing, knowing enough of God at the time, I sensed he was planting something in me um, in regards to that. Uh, so I just, you know, stayed open to that um, and received that uh, to see what what he would have me do. <clears throat> Not too much longer uh, after that, we as a group at Communitize Twin Cities um, longed for more. We liked the serving that we were doing. We liked the relationships that were uh, going on amongst us. But now we were hungry to build relationships with those that we served. So instead of just coming in for a two-hour event, something like that, we really wanted to do that in a more organic, natural, relational way. And so with more permanency with whichever group that was. So we got together one night and we we prayerfully considered all the different organizations we had served with. And some we had been serving at a local shelter um, in a parking lot there. We had also served at uh, just different organizations. Some were just helping, uh, you know, um, inner city youth. And some were uh, regarding uh, food shelves. Um, and so there's just a variety of things. They weren't all necessarily around homelessness. But as we got together, all of us, and prayed and considered what those next steps looked like for us, unanimously, we all knew uh, that we had the heart to work with the unsheltered. So knowing that we wanted the deeper relationships and everything, um, we knew we had to make make some changes. Uh, where we were serving at the shelter, there was about 200 people. It was a highly transitional um, community. And the best you could do at that time was get a jacket out to them or get a meal out to them. Um, it was a chaotic environment. It had some violence to it. Um, not all folks there would have been folks that were in a place to... Um, want relationship mm-hmm. um yeah or be able to even sit still long enough to carry on a conversation and there's a lot of different dynamics going on so we uh picked a place about it's eight to ten blocks away from the shelter and at the time it was a it was a corner of a street it was three streets that intersected and there was a triangle kind of berm there with some some grass and some trees you know, we didn't have a, a place, place to meet, but again, we wanted to go out to the people. So, you know, it wasn't in, in our wiring to be inside a church building. We wanted right. to be out with people. So we just planted stake and met there. Uh, didn't check with the city. <laughs> it's, it's, we figured, you know, if they had a problem with it, they let us know. Yeah. So we met there and then the kind of word just got out. We started just with a few people, um, but, you know, we're meeting outside. And so people would walk by. And they kind of want to see what was going on or people that came would share with their friends. Turned out we realized that what we were doing is creating a space that was peaceful. Hmm. This group of people that were in this chaotic environment I was just explaining to you at the shelter, 
they had somewhere to go where there's people that like cared about them and listened to them. They could talk. See, it's not, you just wanted someone to listen to their story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was peaceful and it was, a, and we provided a meal. And it was a better meal than what the shelter served. We had different resources and it was a smaller group we had to feed, you know, so, but it was, it tasted better, right? And so yeah. that was compelling. And in all that was what we called talk time. So there was, there was the time, you know, we, we served them a meal. We had talk time where we shared something from the Bible um, that was, I hoped in my heart would speak to them. Um, you know, a lot of it is about the reality of our brokenness and how God is with us in it. And, um, and how, um, you know, the, the, the things of this world that seem to be the desires that we all want, belongings, you know, statuses, things like that, um, you know, that they, they aren't anything in comparison to what God can give us. I'm not ignorant in the audience I'm speaking to. Mm. And I'm not ignorant of the fact that I have a warm house to go to and they don't when I stay in that. We, I say it from a place of recognizing all of that. Mm. Um, and in the context of that, also share my own brokenness. And there's plenty of it. <laughs> um, and so there's never, uh, there's a great resonation that goes on there. There's, um, there's a really good connection that God has woven where we from different socioeconomic backgrounds, we the volunteers, you know, who have homes and those in the community who are impoverished, they may have a home, but it's not a permanent home. You know, it's a shelter or something. Um, we, we can connect in, in, in the word of God and his truth for us and in sharing a meal together um, and sharing our own brokenness together and, Anyway, so we met outside in that berm, and I'm telling you, we're in Minnesota, so it would be very, very cold. Yeah. <clears throat> we would have, you know, many people are familiar with rainstorms, but, you know, it'd be raining all day, and my volunteers would be calling me up, should we go down there? Do you think anyone's going to be there? I don't know if anyone's going to be there. I'm like, they'll be there, and uh, easily 90% of the people would be there, no matter the weather, because actually what we thought was inclement. They used to be in in one and yeah. two i think they valued the time together that much um yeah. to come so uh after about five years uh we recognized that there was kind of a, a a next level that we felt we wanted um in continuing the relationship building that we were doing our community is pretty consistent these are the same people that have been meeting together for years now i mean we do get some new ones in, you know, here and there. Um, and unfortunately, some have passed. The, uh, mm. It's really sad how um, COVID has impacted, uh, you know, the less healthier communities as well. Yeah. And we've lost quite a bit of people. But in, in the desire to have uh, that next level relationship, even though we all loved meeting outside, we knew we kind of needed to get away from that because we're fighting traffic. You know, I'm trying to share Jesus here. <laughs> or we're trying to eat a meal together, you know, and connect. And we have buses, you know, all around us and a lot of traffic. Uh, inclement weather, you know. Yes, we came and we got together. But, you know, hurry up, Diana. Make it a seven-minute talk. <laughs> Let's get home. <laughs> uh, we had, to, we had a, uh, at Christmas for a few of those years, we had uh, rented a, a buffet room 
at a local restaurant. And that was kind of the Christmas gift to everyone. And so when we were sitting down inside with everyone, we realized how much richer our connection time was hmm. because, because the outside elements were removed that were yeah. kind of distracting. So we thought it was uh, the right move. And so we ended up uh, for the last three years now, we've rented space at a local local church, which aligns a lot with uh, our original vision. Um, I wanted Communitas Twin Cities, um, if we ever were going to be inside, um, that it would be um, in a way that helped support other organizations doing good work, whether that was a community development corporation or a church, whatever it would have been. And so the church we rent space from right now is an aging church. They have about 30 church members, hmm. have a beautiful, beautiful building, um, you know, and so our rent helps them to, you know, continue to keep that going. Sure. And, then, you know, of course, we have no interest in, in buying a building um, and, and taking that on. I, I don't want that kind of distraction from, I want the, you know, the majority of, the output that we as a leadership team give is to, you know, the people themselves in the community that we serve. Yeah. Well, Diana, I, I, it was a number of years ago now, but I, uh, I visited you and it was street church uh, back then, but I, it was so cool in the context of, uh, I just want to affirm what you're saying that when you take the time to listen you start to realize it's not about some specific disadvantaged community, although I know that's the mission, but you realize we're, we're all on a, a flat playing field and everybody has a story. And what was beautiful to me was that all of those walls were broken down. It wasn't, it wasn't like this unnatural environment, you know, it was just people being together and being people and loving each other and sharing a meal and, having conversation and talking mm -hmm. about sports or, or whatever, you know, whatever it happened to be. Right. Um, it was just this really beautiful sense. But one of the things that really struck me were a number of the volunteers that you had there at that point, I asked you about them and you said, Oh yeah, they, they actually used to be folks that would, would come to be served and, and now they're in leadership. So speak to that a little bit. Cause that's, that's profound. Yes. We have a number of people, um, Right now, so when you came at the time, yes, we did. We had a couple of uh, people that were in leadership. One has since passed away, mm. um, and the other one had moved away. Um, but yes, what uh, another thing that's been really beautiful about this ministry is that the community, without even asking, just wanted to own it. So they would come early, and they'd help do the setup. You know, we rent when we met outside, we would rent chairs from a local rental place. And so, you know, we had to take 50 chairs off the truck and set them up and then put them all back and set up tables. And, um, and but the community would come and they would just kick in and, and, and do that stuff. And, um, and they would reach out oftentimes to say, How else can I help? And even within in St. Mark's, um, there's still setup that needs to happen and also the prepping of the meals. And so, yes, there's a number of people. Um, that are who are the able-bodied ones, that everyone's able-bodied, um, that will come in and be part of helping us pull this off. And mm -hmm. oftentimes too, they're the ones that um I will go to to trust ideas with 
in thinking of what would be something that's meaningful or helpful um, with the community, you know, kind of in the, some of the directions we're going and some of the, the things that we share. So the whole idea of Communist has Twin Cities and the whole idea of the relationships is so that people are resourced so that, because typically folks that are in these situations do not have um, loved ones with resources to keep them from falling lower. Mm-hmm. So if something were to happen, let's say someone's living in their car and then, or needs that car to get to work even, but we're living in it, but, and then they need a new alternator. Well, if nobody can get them an alternator, then they're going to lose their car. And then they might not have a place to live. And, or if the car was being used to, you know, some, you know, some of these folks work, they just don't work, make enough, like many in the world today, yes. make enough to afford housing. Um, so, so, um, as we are that safety net to keep people from falling further, we also are up building their foundation, right? So it's sturdier from that they, they can give out. And so that's what you see happening exactly uh, as they become part of the ministry themselves and kind of find their own giftings and step into their own passions to be able to use, to use that. Yeah, it's really it's really yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and and we picked this up a little bit from, you know, Hersha's writing, uh, but but some of the markers that we look at to kind of define faith community, it can it can take on hundreds of different forms, and you've taken on a very unique one. I mean, starting on meeting on street corners uh, to you know to where you are today and the population you serve. Um, so that's a specific form, right? But the function of faith community is communion, community, and mission. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think you've spoken to those, but I'm I'm curious of maybe particular stories where you've seen communion really take place, uh, communion with God and with each other, and then the community, you know, serving each other like you just mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. and then certainly you have you have stories of transformation and mission. So anything in either one of those that you want to share a story in? Sure, there's there's a few different ones. Um, one um, would be. Interestingly enough, uh, what our organization offers is people who may be, and I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to, there's stereotypes out there about who is, uh, who ends up actually unsheltered out there. Um, yeah. And if you actually listen to the stories of folks, most of them don't fit the stereotypes at all. Um, mm-hmm. There's just, any of us could be homeless if we had been born in different families and had four or five significant things in our life go a different way than, than they did. Right. Uh, but we do have some that have addiction uh, issues. And um, one of the things that I think is kind of neat is people that will come that in the middle of their addiction issue, you know, stoned, drunk, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, but are also serving the Lord at the same time while they're doing mm-hmm. that and helping mm-hmm. us set up. I've had people that are, um, you know, I'll say who wants to read our opening scripture for the day. And I know they're high and they stand up there and they read the scripture for our piece. Um, yeah. I actually think that's a beautiful thing. Yes. Right. Um, Cause God welcomes them no matter what state they're in. He welcomes us whatever state we're in. Um, that's just a general example, but uh, I have a couple other stories. So John and John just really suddenly passed away. Mm. Um, but John has been with us for, eight years or so and he's a big you know 350 pound gruff gruff guy when we first met him he and his girl 
he and his uh, yeah girlfriend Peggy um, had been living outside for about two years, and they ended up living outside a total of three years. Uh, but he could get angry at the drop of a hat, and when he did, uh, he had a scary, scary uh, voice um, mm. as he yelled and stuff. So he and Peggy would come to our meetings, but he was so uncomfortable around the God stuff that whenever I started doing the talk time or anything and that berm that I talked about, that outside berm, he would go to the opposite end of it where there was actually a bus stop. He wasn't waiting for the bus. He just didn't want to sit with us. So we'd go sit there. So he'd basically eat the meal and then go sit there. And then uh, we hand out bus cards at the end. And so he'd get his bus card at the end and then go. That happened for a couple of years. And eventually I realized he would stay. So instead of getting up and going to the bus stop, he would stay and he'd listen to the talk time. Hmm. Um, um, and so, you know, you could just tell like he was getting more comfortable with those discussions. It got to a point after a couple of years that now we were inside uh, the church that we rent the space and we were doing a prayer time. And I was standing up front and I... Um, someone else was saying the prayer at the time. So I happened to open my eyes just to get a bead on, on the community and see where folks were at in that, as far as that prayer time where some praying, you know, who wasn't. And all of a sudden I see John sitting at a table with his head bowed and his hands clasped. Mm-hmm. And uh, I um, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I didn't think I would ever see a day that, that John would be praying uh, with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, yeah, there's just, uh, I'm saying this a little backwards, but, you know, he had having even had some angry bouts with us where he wasn't pleased with something we did or didn't do. And so even for him to kind of regain that trust with us from his yeah. anger and to then show himself in that way, um, it was just powerful. Uh, we had another instance, too, where um, one of the people in our community uh who often signs and signs as you stand in the corner with your sign, right? To try to get some help from the mm-hmm. drivers. Um, he had noticed uh, one day I uh, was speaking to McCaller Sarah. So Sarah was in our, a part of our community and Sarah uh, was really struggling because she was new to the area and she hadn't yet qualified for SSDI. And the social workers she was working with had said, uh, however, they had set her up. So she wasn't getting anything right now. And she was just waiting for SSDI to be approved, which can be a very long process. Right. So in the meantime, she has no income coming in. She's not getting food stamps. She's not getting you know, any assistance of any kind. Um, and this is a woman who had worked most of her life and now is in a place um, with disabilities and stuff that couldn't work and also had no friends with resources. You know, um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, so she was living simply on a one meal. She would get free once a day from a local organization that would give that out. That's it. That's all she had. And then she would apply for some grants for the rent. But can you imagine that you have absolutely no, you have nothing except this one meal that somebody's providing? Anyway, we were uh, we once we found this out about her, we were assisting her with additional funds to get by, um, you know, and just have some resources to get some food or ride the bus or whatever that we get a a shirt if she needed it, toilet paper, you know, Um, and uh, Dave, the other community member 
noticed me uh, giving giving her some money. And he came over there and he said, you know, what's going on with Sarah? And I explained the situation because it's community and we're pretty open. And I'll say, Dave, he must have been signing that day or whatever, but he pulled out 60 bucks from his wallet hmm. and said, here, could you give it to Sarah? Wow. That was huge. And again, Dave was not, is not, um, for him to even notice another person, you know, beside himself, because you know how it is when we all have our own troubles, it's hard to look up and see everyone else. Yeah. And then to re- so willingly give up some precious money like that, um, I thought that was amazing. And and Dave, as a matter of fact, had just been baptized the uh, the year prior. We had done a big baptism. So we'd seen some um, significant spiritual growth with him. And that to me was was just coming out of him, you know, naturally now as he was being transformed. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, Diana, you're just, you're a huge inspiration. Uh, you have been to me for a long time and the work that you do is just so, so beautiful. Um, just a couple more questions. What, how have you been transformed? What, what would you say has been your transformation in the midst of, of Communitas Twin Cities? Um, I am a corporate world employee and have been <clears throat> all my adult working life. Yeah. And I exceed in the corporate world by making stuff happen. Right by somebody might be giving me a uh, something to you know a project or whatever, and then I have to make that happen, and I have to outline the steps to get there, right? And I create all that momentum to get us there. You have to completely lay that that aside in building something for the Lord. And my biggest transformation is to let it all go, and to simply. I'll go. What I mean is that is that it's just a blank slate. I I don't I don't have to know where we're going. My focus is to be sure that I'm listening to the Lord and following where He next points us. Mm. And I use the word birthing for that to describe it. I'm I'm we're not I'm not we're not building a church. We're walking with God as He births this. That's um, yeah, which is exactly the opposite of how I'm wired uh, to work. Yeah. Um, that I would say, and then I would also say the ability to be brutally honest with my own brokenness mm-hmm. um, has just been such a a positive way of connecting. Yeah. To not. You know, sometimes you can feel like if you're the leader, there's kind of this little image you have to uphold or something like that, right? Um, no, I don't. I don't. Just be honest with your own mess of your life, um, yeah. and I think people find you so safe in 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 that way. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I would say that it's so that's probably humility, right? In there, <laughs> probably. Um, oh, it sounds like you you found your your freedom through the service you're providing and you found that freedom through authenticity. Like you yes. just, yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yes. Oh, that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it's not easy. The work that you do. Um, there have probably been times where you've just kind of wanted to quit. What, what keeps you, what keeps you going? It's the love of God flowing through me. Um, there was a time in my life uh, when I hated even volunteering somewhere. Like I had enough stuff in my own life. I'm going to be busy. 
with anyone else's problems, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I continually hang on to honestly the the love God has uh, for me and um, and the sense of His sustainment in in all this um, that just keeps me going. Like I, I'll just keep going until I really sense from Him. No, you know whatever that looks like. Um, it, it does get incredibly frustrating, you know, you, especially you're dealing with folks that um, often aren't healthy and they haven't had a healthy relationship and they don't know how to do a healthy relationship. Um, and so, you know, it brings all kinds of things in there. But um, yeah, I just keep rolling with um, God's love and trying to look at them like God would look at them and, and see them and keep going that way. I know that really came out all bumbled, but <laughs> yeah, that's no, how. Yeah, that's a it's a beautiful answer. Okay. So if if there are people out there that would want to support the work that you're doing, how would they get in touch with you? How does that whole how does that work? Uh, how are you funded essentially? Yeah, yes. And so we're funded by outside donations. Um the really neat thing is that all of us are bivocational that run this. So you know, I'm not drawing anything um for my work involved with this. Uh so, you know, the majority of the donations like 90 4.6%, I think it is, but, you know, are going outward to the community. We have some administrative costs. Yep. We have uh, the rent, um, which is small. Um, and then that's about it. And so, yes, there's people that fund us and donate to the ministry to support the work we do. Some of the things we do that we didn't talk about either is we do give bus cards out at each gathering because uh, mm -hmm. that's a big need for anyone. Um, some people in the winter will just ride that bus because it's a place to be warm. Yeah. Ride and ride and ride it, you know. Um, so there's that. We give out uh, resources uh, throughout the summer as well. New winter boots, coats, blankets, um, just benevolence, things that come up, you know, um, that, you know, we use discretion and we steward the funds well, but, uh, you know, we will help people with um, so they don't fall further, right? Um, and so... Uh, we have uh, the PayPal account that's available on our website, communitastc.org. We also have an account at Christian, well, Communitas International, um, where people can give there. Yeah. And Good. then if anyone's in the Twin Cities that hears this, uh, I would love for you to join us. Uh, I, uh, I really enjoy uh, welcome pe welcoming people in and experiencing this, one, just to experience it. And then two, uh, just to talk with folks that may be thinking of doing their own projects that God has laid on their heart and, you know, maybe just need some encouragement to get going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Communitize International did that for me, you know, encouraged me uh, to go. I might not, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to just start. Like, really? Should I just start for with six people? But yeah, just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the best part of the story, you know, that you you start with a group of people who are dedicated and passionate and it grows into something so beautiful and rich. Mm. Um, so, wow. Thanks for being such a huge inspiration, Diana. And yeah, that, that's an encouragement too, because there might be people listening who would say, you know, I want to do that in my city and, and how, how would I go about it? Um, in the show notes, we'll have your contact information and, and the website and that kind of thing. So if people want to get a hold of you to maybe learn a little bit about how to do something where they're planted. Um, it's neat to know that you're available to help them. Yes, help them for sure. That. Yeah. I'd be excited to help. 
Fantastic. Well, Diana, thanks so much for sharing. Just, I know a little bit of the story with us and uh, what a gift you are to your community and to our organization as well. Um, and like I said, everything that we've talked about here will be in the show notes so you can get access to how to get in touch with Diana and learn a little bit more about what they're doing as well. I also want to encourage you, if you've enjoyed this conversation, uh, to like the podcast and let everybody know that it's available on all the different platforms. Um, so please do seek us out and continue to pass this on to your friends if you enjoyed it. So uh, again, thank you, Diana. And we'll look forward to being together on this podcast the next time. Signing off for now, Jeff Reinhardt. See you later.